Welcome to another session with the Market Dominance Guys, a program about the innovators, idealists, and entrepreneurs who thrive and die in the high-stakes world of building a startup company. We explore the cookbooks, guidebooks, and magic beans needed to grow your business. So let's get going. You're listening to the Market Dominance Guys with your host, Chris Beal of Connect and Sell and Corey Frank of Uncommon Pro. This episode of Market Dominance, guys, starts with Chris recapping the numbers from the previous episode on the tremendous infusion of savings work from home creates, as knowledge workers are no longer required to go into an office to be productive. Quite the opposite. The data supports that they are as much as 47% more productive working from home, ending the commute economy. After the recap, Corey and Chris talk about the other aspects and concerns of potentially returning to the office why it's a bad and wasteful idea, and how we can all benefit by allowing knowledge workers to continue to work from home. Join us for this episode of Market Dominance, guys. All mitigation is untested. Work from home or return to the office. So 48 million knowledge workers commuting for a little less than an hour a day each. That's 210 hours a year is uh, a lot of labor hours. It's about uh, 10 billion labor hours, and at 50 bucks an hour, that's about $500 billion of waste time. And then you add on top of that, at uh, the standard government reimbursement rate of 57.5 cents a mile, how much they drive. And that driving per year is about 7,000 miles. Again, multiply that by those 48 million people, and you get an additional hundred and ninety four billion dollars approximately so it's really quite uh, quite a bit that's being wasted entirely on commuting and you add those numbers together and uh, then throw in something like childcare say forty percent have childcare costs and at uh, eight dollars an hour for that commute time uh, that adds another thirty two billion plus dollars and you get about seven hundred and thirty one billion dollars of waste right there just on the knowledge workers commuting. That's their labor hours, that's the cost of the commute itself. And I threw in one childcare thing for 40% of them. And then look at the rest of the workforce, there's 62 million people approximately commuting in the rest of the workforce. They're gonna be kind of $35 an hour labor, and that's at uh, an awful lot of commute hours per day. That's 53 million, almost 54 million commute hours. And so say they got a 25% improvement from all those knowledge workers being off the freeways and off the streets and out of the parking. Now you're, uh, you're down to a pretty big number again, $114 billion of additional savings. In total, it comes up to about $846 billion. That's already being saved directly by commuters in the form of labor and in the form of, of uh, expenses. For a company who is struggling thinking about moving their um, team to a work from home model, oftentimes the gate is open. The spreadsheet I think that you walked us through here is just walk around the gate, come on in, the water's fine. The downside 
that a lot of the hesitancy that a lot of companies would push back on, Chris, is is the culture and um, the continuity and the three-pound brain. There is some benefit from being next to another three-pound brain, and that's my feeling of involvement, my feeling of of um, of uh, you know uh, social status and things of that nature. And I think we had a lot of those probably addressed if they listened to last week's episode with Sushi uh, Paremel and the wonderful culture that he's building with his organizations. But but what do you say to that just briefly when, you know, okay, I can go around the gate, I see the hard costs, it makes sense from a P&L, from an EBITDA perspective, but man, there is there is real atomic weight from that three-pound brain being next to another three-pound brain. Well, you know, we're going to have to try it for a while because going back to the office is expensive and dangerous. In fact, I, dangerous in a funny way. And the plaintiff's bar is itching to go after an employer who forces people to come to the office and wonders uh, people get sick. I go. mean, they are armed and ready to go. And anybody who's familiar with how the plaintiff's bar works and how class action works knows what is about to happen. So folks voluntarily coming back in, still there's some legal risk, just is, because who knows what assurances you may have inadvertently provided, what warning labels you might have had to have up, what mitigations you could have done that you failed to do, and not knowing about them, by the way, might not be a defense. Right? So you're about to learn something auto manufacturers have known for a long time, which is that you're responsible for safety if you offer something where there are safety issues that are different from what was expected. And since no one knows what to expect, this could be problematic for anybody who's bringing folks back. Secondly, every mitigation is untested. There are no tested mitigations. I saw a beautiful article in the Puget Sound Business Journal that showed a picture, an infographic, and it showed the 11 mitigations that you should consider before you bring people back to the office. And they were things like, coming in with a new HVAC system that had different kind of filtering in it and circulated air differently. Really? <laughs> For a year and a half or two years of benefit? I mean, if you're going to bring them back, okay, but really? New HVAC so that the three-pound brains can sit next to each other but not infect each other? Think anybody's ever tested that? I don't think yeah, anybody's ever chance, tested that, chance, right? Yeah. Now, one of these mitigations has been tested coffee machines that you operate with your smartphone. I don't think anybody's ever done laboratory testing or in real life testing of the impact of that on viral respiratory virus transmission, right? So this is just stuff people are going, they're kind of waving their hands and saying, but, 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 but. And remember there's a finger on the scale, which is the other side of those big leases. So you should expect to see a lot of stories about how essential it is and possible it is to bring people back into the office. But I tell you from a scientific perspective, again, all 11 of those mitigations have gotta be done and all 11 have gotta work. And then you have to not get a little bad luck, like, well, it turns out they stood next to somebody in the Starbucks downstairs. And uh, so it, it's unlikely, you're gonna to have to learn to live with it anyway. Culturally, what do you do? I know in sales what you do, it's simple. Yep. For your sales team, nothing is more energizing than talking to people. That's correct. This is our team today. 
And here's an SDRs talk to 25 decision makers. Set one meeting, so they had a moment of excitement, set 14 follow-ups. It's Friday, people tend to be a little busy on Friday. Got two referrals and had five minutes and 24 seconds after pushing the button on average before he talked to somebody, Josh Lehman did. And um, I'm sure during that time, he was doing something else that's useful. So, you know, it's kind of funny. We talk about culture, like culture is about ping pong tables or it's about, um, I don't know, drinking beer in the conference room or whatever it happens to be, which I think people gave up a while ago too for safety reasons. So fact of the matter is people, as Deming told us, they work for pride of workmanship. And if they have good work to do and they're having fun doing it, and they're being managed in a way that's fair and reasonable and encouraging, then the core of culture is there. And that's the number one thing is work culture actually can be about work. And it can be about what somebody loves to do. If you're in sales, you hopefully love to talk with people. And so here right. my, my team today, they've talked to 168 people as you see down here. Wow. That's, that's a lot of conversations, right? Here's what also is culturally kind of good about this. They didn't have to make those 5,655 frustrating dials and navigate those phone systems. That was done for them. So that's, that's kind of pleasant. And then another thing is people like to be able to help and they like to be helped. If you need help, you're stuck. You need to learn. If somebody notices you need help and there's a lot of ways to do that. So say, Say your boss or your coach could come in and say, you know what, this guy, Sean McLaren, he's our chairman. Man, he's got a lot of busy callbacks today. By the way, Sean McLaren really is our executive chairman. He really does talk to people. So today he had six conversations and set one meeting. That's pretty good. But he's having a hard time keeping people on the phone. I wonder if Sean's got issues today. Is he a little slow? Is his voice bad? Well, this one can't be correct. It's a minute long conversation. So maybe he just coded it wrong. These are short. I have a feeling if I listen to one, and we're not gonna do that right now, out of respect for Sean's uh, awesomeness, you know? Mm -hmm. But hey, if Sean needed a little help, uh, just thinking about his, his state of mind today, his mood or whatever, then, you know, we could help him, right? And then here's another thing is it's, it's fun to do work that counts. It's not much fun to do work that doesn't count. So today, this team, it's 5,655 dials. Now it's gone up by a couple. It's only three in the afternoon after all. Would that have been culturally marvelous for them to have just gone to voicemail 1,825 times today or navigated to voicemail 1,567 times or been told by a gatekeeper, I'm sorry, Corey is not in today and not available? That's right. None of that looks like fun, right? So culturally, that's part of it. Now, the rest of it is this. Human beings actually don't have a sense of smell like the other animals and the, the other mammals. So your dog can smell you across town. And I'm speaking literally here. I had a dog once that freaked out, ran off in a thunderstorm. And she went all the way back up to our mountain home which was 17 miles away of complex navigation involving roads and trails and God knows what. And she went to every neighbor's house and sort of knocked on the door to check to see if we were there because we were out of town. <laughs> Imagine that, right? 
Well, she's got. It she is. knows that there's a bunch of milk bones on the other side of the fence. That's probably why that she couldn't get to. Yeah. Exactly. Well, what was she really doing? She was following a scent trail. In that she had mapped a scent map, not a trail. She had mapped the scent. She'd only been up and down that road one time in her life, and the, the one time up, one time down. That was it. This is a dog never been to town before. Before we moved to town, so she remembered how to get back to that complex mountain home. By, by knowing the smell of everything along the way. So dogs are really, really good at this. And you go to the airport, they don't have a trained human who's going up and down in the, in the uh, security line sniffing everybody. They have a dog, right? Right, right? Humans are not the most brilliant in the world at, at smelling each other and figuring out if they're sincere to be trusted. But we are geniuses, like dogs will never be, at hearing each other's voices and seeing each other's faces. And the voice and the face are the two ways that we express ourselves in terms of what really counts, which is, do I care about you? And if you wanna have a great culture, let your people know you care about them and let them tell you they care about you and about the mission. And you just do it in natural ways in the normal course of business, by getting on these Zooms, by just talking on the phone. Everybody in your company who is physically capable of hearing and seeing, and that's not everybody, I get it. That's, that's really tough you know, for, for folks who have vision problems and, and hearing problems. But of the rest, of the, of the mass of folks at your company who don't, they're so good at interpreting sincerity and good intentions and, and meaningful direction from tone of voice for the same reasons cold calling works, it's possible and easy to project fantastic culture to a remote workforce. And in fact, you have more time to do it during the two hours you would have been commuting. Let's break it down. I have a team in North America personally of 28 people. So in two hours, how many five minute conversations are there? There's 24. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Think about that. That's 24 times that I could that could spend, you know, having five-minute conversations. And in those five minutes, each one of those minutes, hey, each second's carrying 20,000 bits of emotional information. Terabits of emotionally important information can be transmitted. Having meetings where everybody gets to participate, this is one of the beauties of Zoom. In a standard conference call, the standard uh, conference room, participation is dominated by the physically most dominant person. They stand, they take over the room, they interrupt, they talk, they go to the whiteboard, they dominate. In a hybrid, where there's a speakerphone in the desk or the table in the conference room, you get a two-tier economy, a two-tier culture. People in the room and the people in the mushroom. The people in the mushroom don't have a shot. They don't exist. They will never have the floor in any significant way. Right? On a regular conference call, just voice only, it's tricky. You need a good moderator. But in a Zoom call, it's so natural. Everybody sees each other's face. And normally, the contribution level per person goes way up, and people feel more included. So I think making an inclusive culture is actually easier. And sure. some of the biases that we have about people are a little, shall we say, muted in this yeah. environment. And biases are not the greatest thing in the world. So if I it actually happened ten years ago. Then argue, you could argue that the uh, the urgency to go back to the community economy would have been so much more urgent. But because the tech stack 
is so much more in place and plumbed and accepted that uh, there really uh, isn't many excuses to go back to the way we were. When you work the numbers, it says don't do it. When you work the culture, it says don't do it. If you work productivity, it says don't do it. We solved this problem a long time ago. We would never have designed it like we had it. Clogged cities with roads you can't get through on, people frustrated not seeing their children, not getting enough exercise, not eating well, stopping at the bar on the way home, sucking down lattes because they're bored. Let's face it, that was not healthy. It wasn't economically healthy and it wasn't otherwise healthy. Then it's tragic what's going on with all the, the cases of people getting sick, people dying. But I do believe that this, a bunch of people worked hard to create a situation where we can work from anywhere and we can contribute to society no matter who we are. And I believe there'll be a next wave that we haven't even touched yet, which is inclusiveness across society. There are so many smart people who don't contribute, don't get to contribute because they don't live where the rich businesses are. And I've done some experiments around that about, oh, back in 1991 and 92, that proved to me for sure that there is no difference in talent among all of our different communities that we, that we have in this country or anywhere in the world. And I think one of the side effects of work from home and work from anywhere is gonna be that more people are gonna find great careers as knowledge workers who are currently being left out. And I think that's another wave that's coming and nobody's seeing it coming. That's great, okay, well we have a topic uh, to discuss for next time. In the meantime, I'm gonna go search for my share of the $7.5 trillion that uh, you say is buried somewhere in the ether in the virtual couch cushions of America. So until next time. <laughs> I'm going to go load up with a Subi. <laughs> Talk to you later. Beautiful. Thanks, Absolutely. Bert. Thanks, Chris. You've been listening to another episode on Connect and Sales Sales Domination Channel. Connect and Sell allows your sales reps to talk to more decision makers in 90 minutes than they would in a week or more of conventional dialing. Your reps can finally be 100% focused on selling, even when working 100% from home. Since all of their CRM data entry and follow-up scheduling is fully automated within Connect and Sell's powerful platform, your team's effectiveness will skyrocket by using Connect and Sell's teleprompter capability, as they'll know exactly what to say during crucial conversations. Visit ConnectandSell.com. Today's show is also brought to you by UncommonPro.com. Selling a big idea to a skeptical customer or investor is one of the hardest jobs in business. So when it's really time to go big, you need an uncommon methodology to convince others that your ideas will truly change their world. Through a modern and innovative sales and scripting tool set, we offer a guiding hand to ambitious leaders in their quest to reach market dominance. It's time to get uncommon with UncommonPro.com. Never miss an episode. Go to any of your favorite podcast venues and search for Market Dominance Guys or go to marketdominanceguys.com and subscribe.